tonight's Bible reading comes from Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everyone. I'm Pastor Brendan. I'm delighted to be here. Um, And I'm going to pray, and then I've got a little uh, testimonial video for you, and then I'm going to get into the message. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for everything you've given us. We pray tonight that you open up our hearts to what you have to say to us, and open up your word to our hearts. And we pray that in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was a little girl, my best friends across the street were Catholic. Actually, I didn't know about anything having to do with religion or even Jesus. And they informed me that I would not be able to go to heaven, but I would be able to go to purgatory um, because the Jews killed Jesus and um, that's what would keep me out of heaven. They're also the first people that ever told me about the Holocaust and people being made into soap and lampshades and I had no idea. 1975, I got to travel with Bob Dylan on the Rolling Thunder Review on two six-week tours and then a six-week European tour. And on that tour was Joni Mitchell and Joan Baez and Ramblin' Jack Elliott and Roger McGuinn from a group called The Birds. And we hung out with people like Ringo Starr and Jack Nicholson and just It was a very, very exciting, very fun time, you know, very heady, just um, playing all over Europe, staying in the best hotels, riding a private train through, you know, six different countries. Um, It was great. It was everything that you would think when those tours were over. Rather than being elated, I felt completely empty, completely lost, completely, I just, like I had climbed a mountain and I looked over and there was nothing on the other side. And I just was asking myself, what is life all about? If it's not about, you know, having things that are just, just having fun, if it's not that, if it's not even that your art or your talent can fulfill you because these people that I traveled with were so artistic, so talented, but they had their own issues, what was life about? It got to a certain point where I, um, I was so frustrated with life that I determined I will give myself 35 days, and I wrote this in a diary, I give myself 35 days to find a new way of approaching life. I am just sick of this brain inhabiting this body and just the way I even thought about things. During that 35 days, I contracted an illness called Bell's Palsy. I went, as I was going to bed one night, I was brushing my teeth and water came squirting out of the side of my mouth. And I lived alone in an apartment at that point. And I thought to myself, I'm gonna go to bed and I'm gonna wake up paralyzed. And sure enough, when I woke up in the morning, half my face was paralyzed. Bob's girlfriend, this big black Baptist woman, 
grabbed me by the hands and said to me, she started praying for me in the name of Jesus. And I remember that when she was finished, I walked out of that trailer and I was stunned. And I looked around and I thought, what was that? And the next day I actually started seeing an improvement and feeling an improvement in my face. And I actually did end up going to Europe on that six week Bob Dylan tour. One day I was out in the desert with a girlfriend of mine and we were in a motel. And I remember um, on my search, I was still looking for truth and I opened up the little drawer in the hotel room and there was a red Gideon Bible. So I stole that Bible and I brought it home with me. And I remember opening it up, never having read the Bible before, just opening it up to Matthew and reading the words, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I remember thinking to myself, whoever this Jesus is, I could use a friend like him. I had a voice teacher who took me to a big church with his wife and with him. And there were about a thousand people there and they were all just singing songs to God and enjoying themselves and their hands were raised. And I'm looking around the room thinking to myself, are these people crazy and I'm the only sane one here? Or do they know something that I don't know? I came back really kind of just desperately more wanting to know what is this life all about. And um, a friend of mine gave me a book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. And I was in a bar in Austin, Texas with my brother and my cousin's band who was playing. And I started reading that book. And as I'm reading the book, it was as if these scales literally fell off my eyes. I remember I started laughing thinking, oh my gosh, I know who Jesus is. Because C.S. Lewis said on page 42 in that book that you cannot call Jesus a prophet or a wise man or a good man. He allowed people to worship him and fall at his feet. Either he was who he claimed to be or he was a raving lunatic, as crazy as a poached egg, a megalomaniac. But there is no room to call him good. He was either who he was or he was a madman. When I got back to California, a friend of mine took me to a church, the vineyard, and as I was leaving church, there in the back of the church is Bob Dylan, his girlfriend Mary Alice, and she looked at me and she said, girl, you've got to go to discipleship school. And I said, no, I need a job. And she said, seek first the kingdom of God and all else will be added unto you. And sure enough, I went to Bible school for five months, five days a week, four hours a day with Bob and Mary Alice, myself and nine other people. Today, um, I'm married to Marty Getz and we have one daughter who's an adult and I work as Marty's manager, record producer, booking agent, travel agent, and uh, he is my best friend, but I have even a better friend, and it's Yeshua, Jesus. And I have a very simple, childlike faith that he loves me.
I'm addicted to these uh, One for Israel testimony videos. I like that one um, for this week, both because there's a nice little sneaky Gideon's Bible tie-in, um, but secondly, because she has a, a, a testimony where basically everything hinges on a moment where someone was willing to pray for her for supernatural healing. Um, you know, when she was suffering from that Bell's palsy and uh, <laughs> who happened to be Bob Dylan's girlfriend, not the, not the chaplain for, for a tour, um, not a dedicated missionary, but just a Christian who was there. Um, who saw themselves in a missional light, saw that as an opportunity to pray and to demonstrate by prayer that there was something different about her and what she believed. And, and that uh, ultimately is, is the road that God led her down. Um, we're at the end of our Surprise the World series. And we've been talking about the ways that we can live and we can take action in our lives to put our faith on display. And we're, we're called to live out the gospel with word and deed. And this series has been principally about living out the gospel via deed and how that's done. Uh, and we've used this acronym, BELLS. Uh, not a little tie-in, but um, bless, eat, listen, learn. And so far, uh, we've been through those ones. And I hope that you've found the opportunities to try and do those things because the hope itself is that if we inculcate these habits into our life, we start doing them and to the point where we're doing them sort of automatically, we're doing them constantly in our lives, um, then it leads to a life that's more obviously different than the life lived by those in the world around us. Shows us a lifestyle of those who are in the world and not of the world. And it's this sort of simple weekly list of ways to live out the gospel. Um, and that's been to bless three people, one of them who is uh, unchurched at least, um, and with acts of kindness and encouragement. There's been to eat with three people, at least one of them outside of the church as well. Um, to have that fellowship, uh, that food-based fellowship with one another, to, to listen to God, listen for the voice of God with just a chunk of your time once a week in solitude and silence for seeing what God is saying to you and make that a regular priority to learn more about Christ, taking one period of time during the week uh, in addition to regular scripture reading or whatever else you do with the goal of knowing who Jesus is better and better. Um, it's time in the Gospels or watching a, a video series about Jesus. At a modest guess, there's like over 100,000 books written about Jesus. Maybe some of them are worth reading. Um, Maybe try. Um, but some of the active learning about Jesus, um, it should be part of this, uh, this BELLS acronym there. And so that's B-E-L-L. -L, and finally, we're in the week five of this. We're in S. Um, and like all good sermon series, the acronym starts to break down at some point as you sort of force it. Um, the S stands for sent, as in to think of ourselves, to begin really genuinely thinking of ourselves as sent people, as missionaries, because the word missionary uh, means someone who is sent, or means something, who is, something that is expelled, forced outward, like missile. So missionary comes from the same kind of root there. Um, to think of ourselves as sent people, as missionaries in every place that God puts us. And the task associated with that is to journal weekly about how we've uh, announced or demonstrated God's reign in the world and whether we've done that subtly or openly, but just to make a habit of weekly checking in, having a little journal where we write out what we've done, uh, what's happened in our life, how we've represented God, how we've been missional in the way that we've lived. And those good deeds are the kind that Jesus meant when he called us to be a light of the world, to do good deeds, and to um, so that others may see them and glorify God. Now, a little later in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus also says that we're to do our good deeds in secret, um, lest we be seeking personal praise and admiration for those. And superficially, those seem like they contradict each other. With just a little bit of examination, they complement one another. Uh, these commands come to a first century Judea. There are, there are shame on a culture where admiration of the people around you is everything. And part of the reasons that 
Christians worshipping a condemned and crucified man seemed so unbelievable at the time because that seemed like the kind of thing that would get you shame. Why would you follow someone who had been so obviously publicly shamed? And so admiration was an important thing. And so if you, say, loaned someone money in a situation where they were desperate, it was a generous act on your behalf, you might at that time do everything you could to make sure everyone knows how generous you are. Now, if someone was going around um, big-noting themselves about the good that they do today, in 21st century Australia, we would think they were a jerk and that we would dislike them for doing that, regardless of how generous they had been. But we would dislike someone for treating themselves like that, for being a narcissist, for big-noting themselves, specifically because 2,000 years ago, Jesus commanded self-congratulating jerks to pull their heads in and to do good because God values that we do good and to expect reward from him, not for personal acclaim. But the flip side of that is that there is some good that is to be done publicly, that he's done better publicly, and when you do it publicly, it's our responsibility to to deflect the glory from that back towards God, the God who guides us, the God who calls us to do these things. So if I give a donation to charity, that's a a good deed that's best done in secret, best done discreetly, lest we become kind of prideful about it. If I found a charity whose purpose is to gather donations for the sake of a suffering people group, it would be very foolish to be very quiet about that uh, because no one would donate to a charity that no one's going to hear about. And... Something like that, um, a movement of people, is, is clearly more than just one person's generosity, but it's a visible display of godly virtue. And knowing that we are called to be this light in the world, a city on the hill, uh, it's worth thinking about how we do this, how we display that godliness in the way that we act and the way we live, individually and as God's church, collectively. And, uh, Michael Frost, who puts together this, this BELLS acronym, this idea, suggests that we can consider the church's duty as being a sign and a foretaste and an instrument. A sign pointing towards the God who reigns, who loves, who acts in the world. A foretaste of the kingdom to come in which there is this ruling principle of love between the members of the church and goodness and kindness to spare. And an instrument of God to do his work in the world, listening for his will, eager to accomplish what he would have for us to do. It's not about doing good specifically as evangelism, really. It's we're doing good because God intends for us to do good. But the world can look at that good that is done in God's name and be naturally attracted to that. So that's what it kind of means for a church at that high level to be uh, the light of the world, along with the proclamation of the gospel directly. But this series is really about what we do individually and what we can do regularly and weekly to cultivate these righteous habits. And it'd be no good just to say, do a good deed every week or do five good deeds every week that promote the glory of God. It's too vague like that. The rule here is that we are sent ones of God. We're trying to cultivate in ourselves the sense that we're missionaries wherever God has sent us. And that carries some responsibility on how we carry ourselves and what we do. And the more aware of that we become, the more Christ-like we're going to walk. So the challenge is to journal once a week about what we are doing to show God's goodness and glory in the world. What if you've done nothing? Well, then you journal that you've done nothing. Write a paragraph. Week three, can't think of anything which I might have done to impact the people around me. A few weeks in a row of that, and you'll either become more aware of the things you are doing, or you'll begin to feel compelled to do something. But at least you're cultivating the habit of journaling about it. And both of those are good things. So 
This will require you to get some kind of journal. Uh, buy some kind of maybe a nice $30 moleskin notebook from Officeworks or buy a 30 cent children's exercise book from Kmart. Write mission journal on the front and once a week take some time to make a little paragraph of note. It's the easiest of all of these letters in the Bell series to accomplish. And if you're sitting there thinking, gosh, I hope he doesn't ask us to put our hands up again about which we've done, then this is the one to jump on board with because it is the easiest to do. Can you write a paragraph each week with the overall hope that it will prompt and encourage you to live a more visibly godly life? Of course you can, we all can. If you're hands, you can. Um, do the writing part. If not, then I'm sure you can find someone to write for you. We all can do that. Now, maybe we could use some guardrails to sort of guide us in this. And so here's four ideas, again, courtesy of our good friend Michael Frost, of what these things might look like, uh, what, what it is we might be doing that promotes the kingdom of God in the world, what these actions that um, have us shining the light of God might be. The first one of those is reconciliation. Thing one is reconciliation. Because the story of God, and therefore, unbeknownst to many, the story of our world is the story of the reconciliation between God and his people. The rift between them is bridged by Jesus Christ. Forgiveness can happen. And God and his creation can dwell together again, now in spirit and in the next world in true abundance. And we're commanded to forgive one another in the same way that God has forgiven us. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. In Christ God forgave you. And similarly, we are commanded in Romans 12.18, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Our God cherishes the reconciliation of people to himself and to one another. And that should be a value to us as well. And we should seek it in our own lives to be reconciled to loved ones and to friends from whom we have become estranged. And when it's possible and when it's within our ability, we should help others to reconcile to each other. People should know us as the kind of folks who value harmony in workplaces, in friendships, in marriages, and in churches. Doing so is promoting one of God's chief joys in the world. And if you play your part in something like that during the week, then it's worth journaling about. That's thing one. Thing two is justice. There's a true and right sense that we are living not for this fallen world we are currently in, which is passing away, but for the next world where all justice will be done, um, where all the wrongs will be righted, where God will make everything whole again. But while we remain in this world, God desires us to, as Micah 6.8 reminds us, to seek justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Evil should be opposed and good promoted. Those who are suffering unduly should be given what relief they can get, especially from those of us for whom it's a very small expense to provide a great deal of relief. Now, the word justice has drifted around a little bit with meaning, uh, particularly in the last few years. Often we could take it to mean criminal justice, the bad guys get punished. And that is, I think, what uh, Micah mostly means, uh, what is meant by in, um, that Micah verse. But today, and in the way that we are talking about it today, justice is used both in the sense of punishing bad guys and also giving help to those who are suffering. If you see someone who is suffering unjustly, you want to try and alleviate that. And Michael Frost uses the term social justice, and I don't particularly like that term. Um, certain political forces have grabbed onto it, and it's been misused and mocked and used badly. Now the term social justice 
uh, conjures up unflattering images of hipsters arguing with Andrew Bolt about smashed avo. It's confusing, don't worry about that part. But dumping the social part, it's not hard to look around the world and see injustice. And this requires us to look around with eyes of ministry as opposed to eyes of raw theology. Because someone right now is saying in their heart, well, all the world's suffering is just, everyone has sinned and deserves to go to hell. That is theologically true, and it means exactly nothing to someone who doesn't know God, who doesn't have a reason to trust that you, you represent him, and doesn't understand why they are being crushed under the heavy boot of life, and other people seem to do just fine. Being involved in the cause of justice in the world is something that Christians have historically been known for, and they should continue to be known for. And it so happens that issues of justice in the world are often more complex than we think and more complex than we give them credit for. Some homework may be involved to make sure that we are genuinely doing good rather than just trying to feel good about doing good. I might strongly feel that uh, children working in textile mills in Thailand should be making the same as our teens make at minimum award wage in Australia. But if the cost of labor goes up in Thailand and they should close down those t-shirt factories, then those kids lose their jobs and their families have less money and my feelings are not worth an awful lot to them. So that's a complex kind of thing. But there are plenty of causes that are not that complicated, that are easy enough to get on board with right now and that are unambiguously worth supporting. There are more slaves in the world today than there have ever been despite the abolition of slavery in the West. That's a cause worth opposing. Um, Maybe that's something that we could, as individuals, donate some time or money towards learning about and acting on. Right for Refugees is coming up, and how would you... Uh, however we feel about refugees and immigration policy, everyone wants the folks who are here, who have come here looking for a better life, who um, have nowhere else to go, to have what they need to, to be integrated, to, um, to be able to learn to support themselves, to be helped, to not suffer. Maybe get involved in that. And even today in our text and Instagram only old people make phone calls society, uh, there are still suicide hotlines that need people to give up a little time regularly to be prepared just to make a little verbal human contact with someone in a desperate moment. The more universally the church is involved in these causes, the more obvious it is to the world that our God is good and that he cares about the sick and the suffering in the world. And those who desperately need justice. Thing three is beauty. And there is such a thing as beauty in the world, natural beauty and artistic beauty. Uh, a couple of months ago, we, well, in the, in the morning service, we talked about the fire that happened at the Notre Dame Cathedral. And um, the Notre Dame Cathedral is an incredibly old, insanely beautiful, majestic structure. And there's lots of big, beautiful cathedrals in the world like that, mostly Catholic, not all. And as good Baptists, we can look at a giant stained glass uh, covered building with marble statues and golden ornaments, and we say, Bleh, ew, gross. I want a bland, functional community hall, thank you very much. All this extravagance could have spent that money on feeding the poor. And on one hand, sure, wealth can be used for direct charity. On the other hand, it was Judas who complained to Jesus about spending money wastefully on glorifying him. So maybe we should pump the brakes on that a little bit. I don't think that we can justify building giant crystal and gold cathedrals today, but in the day that they were built, the artistic and architectural beauty served a real purpose. Imagine 
being a, a French peasant in the 12th century and you grow turnips all day and your house is made of thatch and mud and one day you make a pilgrimage to Paris and walk into this enormous stone cathedral. You didn't know men could build things that big and it's full of tapestries and artwork and there are frescoes depicting the Bible stories that you never learned to read but you can tell from the visuals and that's the Sermon on the Mount and that's Jesus in the garden and that's the empty tomb. And such a place of beauty would have been like walking into heaven itself for such people. Now, we're pretty used to such comfort today, but the same effect then won't come from beautiful, extravagant buildings. But there is beauty in, for example, nature that speaks to the truth of a creator. Whether you go to the Grand Canyon or more locally to King's Canyon, seeking and sharing that kind of beauty uncovers a subtle but undeniable fact that the world is not just a lump of matter, it's a work of art, and it has an artist. And likewise, art made by human hands, while less grand than that made by God, has a godly quality to it still. At least the good stuff does. Art in the West, or the arts even in the West, were founded on the fascination with our creator God and the things he has done. And sadly, the arts have kind of drifted away from that. We went from Handel's Messiah to Hannah Montana. Um, and all the Masters filled our museums with paintings exploring godly themes and biblical subjects and just exploration of beauty and excellence in the world. And modern art uh, tends to lack that godly inspiration, to say the least. Christians have retreated from the arts, from movies, from music, um, from these creative endeavors that reflect and point to the glory of a creative God and the world filled in the blanks. And we're only just now starting to claw back some ground on the artistic front. So if you have even a little bit of creativity, a little musicality in your body, um, cultivating that, seeking excellence in that, doesn't just have to be a hobby. Everyone knows the power of music and art to move people, even move them to tears, and certainly to move them in the direction of the one who made them. To do that in the service of God is a way of being light in the world. And the church in this world badly needs more Christians pursuing the arts in a way that glorifies God. That's thing three. Thing four is wholeness. And Jesus' ministry of healing on earth was not an attempt to cure all the world's sickness and ills. Jesus healed people and he preached the word. But the fact that he did heal people, and the fact that the promise of redemption is one of being made whole again, body and soul, reunited to God. It makes the pursuit of wholeness and healing a God-glorifying one. It's not within our power to remove suffering entirely from the world, but we can make a kind of a difference, certainly. Physical brokenness in the world, people suffering in sickness and injury, it's a vast, painful metaphor. It's creation crying out about the spiritual brokenness behind the physical and when we donate time to a medical cause, we invest uh, ourselves in helping the disabled, when we give blood, when we pray for healing, general and supernatural, we are honoring the wholeness that God desires for his people. Making healing and wholeness something we long for and find ways to promote in the world was valuable to Jesus, to his disciples, and to the followers of God throughout history. And the fact that there are international medical charities uh, is a Christian legacy. Fred Hollows, who did more to restore sight in the world than any human being has ever done, was famously unchristian, um, 
The Red Cross, once a Christian organization, is now only barely Christian in the smallest of ways. But both exist because they spring from a world that valued the teachings of Jesus, who said, behold, I am making all things new, and called people to him for healing. And good as it is that non-Christians are getting in on the act, it should remain distinctive of the Christian church that we are so invested in seeing people made whole, in seeing people healed. Reconciliation, justice, beauty, and wholeness. And if you think you'll struggle to journal just one paragraph in the week about how you've striven to live missionally as one sent into the world to start being a light in the world, start by thinking about those categories. And if you sit down and you can't think of any way that you've um, been promoting the glory of God in any of them, then maybe you ought to grab your life group or your family or a friend and get involved in something new in the name of the glory of God. So that's the Bell series. That's B-E-L-L-S. Bless, eat, listen, learn, and scent. And there's a second S that could be tacked onto the end of this series, a phantom S that ruins the, the acrostic and makes it Bell's. But it's important enough that it's worth mentioning, and that's share. Each of these letters has stood for something that we can do in our own lives to be more missional and obedient to God. And share is the part where we realize that while these are all things that can be done as individuals, we cannot succeed overall on our own. Talk about this stuff with your life group, with accountability partners, if you have them, with your family. Promoting these missional habits can only come from encouraging one another and being held accountable in turn. The next time someone asks, do you have any praise or prayer points? These are praise and prayer points. If prayer, um, it's praise if you've been doing them and if you've had opportunity to, to do these things in your life. Prayer if you're looking for those opportunities and you want to serve God by, uh, by being kind and encouraging, by blessing people in that way. If you're looking for that encounter that God is um, setting up for you so that you can dine with someone who's, who needs desperately to know what Christians are like. And if you are praying for God to open up those doors for you, then pray with your home groups, with the people you pray with about that. But do start journaling. And if you've never journaled, and you are willing to try, then I have come prepared to make it as, as easy as possible for you this week. Now, I have enough of these to give some to, like, to, say, 14 people. Back in, like, 2005, I worked in QBD's warehouse. This is a cruddy, super cheap, um, like, children's exercise book featuring some kind of cartoon goofball falling through the sky. Um, that's meaningless, but it's lined paper and therefore suitable to become a journal. And if you take them away from me, I won't have to carry them again when I move house again, because I can't bear to throw away good stationery. If you're willing to start journaling, if you're willing to do this, to treat yourself as a sent one and to journal a little bit every week about how you've been acting missionally, then come to me after the service. I will give you one of these for free. I also have these little Lovely little white tags you can write your name on, like so. They have been sitting in a drawer in my house for 10 years as well. I would like them gone. <laughs> Friends, journal. All right, I will get a more fine-tipped pen so it doesn't run over the edge, but just like that. If you want to be obedient to this, if you want to do this, and I encourage you absolutely to do it. I can give you some of the resources. And if I run out, I will get more. 
But don't walk away from this having taken nothing from this series. It's important that we live in the world in a way that the world can see us and know that we're different. That's what gives validity to the spoken gospel when we talk about how God has changed our lives. If they look at our lives and they don't see that we've changed, what do we expect them to believe? So I encourage you again, think over this last series to do me a favor by taking some of these books off my hands. And this week, try again to do one of each of these things, to bless some people, to eat with some people, to listen to God, to learn a little bit more about Jesus, and to think and to act of your, as yourself as, as a sent one of God to take some time to journal about that. So ends our series. I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Father God, you have done so much for us and we thank you for your son Jesus and the price he paid for our sins. We thank you for the spirit sent by you and Jesus to your people to guide us and sustain us and to draw us to you. God, help us not just to live with that thankfulness locked up inside our chests like a secret because you've sent us into the world, Lord. Help us to be conscious of what it means to be sent into the world to be a witness to you, to be that light that people need. Encourage and inspire us to glorify you in this world by doing the kind of deeds that would please you. And be with us as we encourage each other to live missionally. And as we need that encouragement in turn, Lord, provide it to us through those we love. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.